1: The year is 1989. The Berlin Wall is coming down. America is both powerful and ascendant. Fast forward to the present. China's rise, a revanchist Russia, American retrenchment in places like Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria, all making that sense of leadership less clear. Some say American power and even the will to lead are receding. Others argue that American influence not only remains— But Washington is looking to reassert itself as the preeminent influencer of world events. In light of this emerging divide, we debate the question, is America retreating from global leadership? Yes, that is the question. Uh, One year after the election of President Joe Biden, who promised to restore the soul of America, we are going to look at the standing of America globally, America as a leader, as often has been claimed or said, leader of the free world. It always had a certain ring to it, but does it still apply as it once did? Are we leading? Do we want to? Can we? The verdict is uncertain, but you, our voting audience, can help to bring it in. We want you to tell us which side you feel argued the best. We're going to ask you to do that by casting a vote on our resolution, America is retreating from global leadership, before you've even heard the arguments. And then we're going to ask you to vote a second time after you've heard what everyone has to say. And here at Intelligence Squared, we name as the winner the team whose numbers go up the most in percentage point terms between the first and the second vote. The first vote is right now. Here's what we want you to do. Go to IQ2US.org. That's IQ2US.org in a web browser. There you will find a multiple-choice field where you will be asked to tell us whether you are for, against, or Or undecided on the statement, America is retreating from global leadership. I'll give you one more second to get that first vote in. All right, so now, with all of that explained, it is time to meet our debaters. Arguing for the motion America is retreating from global leadership is Mary Beth Long, former Assistant Secretary of Defense for International Security Affairs and chair of NATO's high-level group responsible for NATO's nuclear policy. She also served more than a decade at the CIA. Her partner, Bill Kristol, founder and editor-at-large of The Weekly Standard and former chief of staff to Vice President Dan Quayle. Opposing them and arguing against the motion Corey Shockey, Director of Foreign and Defense Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute and a former senior official at the U.S. State and Defense Departments, as well as the National Security Council. Her partner, Vikram Singh, a senior advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace and former U.S. Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense. Okay, now, so here we are, ready to begin. We have all four of us together, all five of us together, I'm counting the four debaters, all of whom have debated with us before. So this is a rarity to have four returning debaters and also a pleasure. I want to thank all of you for joining us here for this debate on Intelligence Squared. Good so to with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And now we move on to round one, and round one is comprised of opening statements from each debater in turn. Our motion again is, America is retreating from global leadership. Speaking first in support of the motion, William Crystal, Bill, The screen is all yours.
2: Thanks, John. Mary Beth and I will explain that, alas, America is retreating from global leadership and has been for a while. This is a bad thing. I I make this argument, and Mary Beth does too, with regret and and sadness, honestly. Uh, And I hope that we can all come back in five or 10 years. And I'd be more than happy, thrilled to make the argument that America has resumed global leadership and is advancing, not retreating. But we need to be honest about the current situation. In fact, if we want to reverse it, we need to have a clear-eyed appreciation of it. So we are retreating. We've been retreating. Uh, what's the evidence? It's pretty simple, honestly. I mean, let's look back 20 years. Uh, was Putin, who's clearly an adversary of ours, stronger or weaker then? He had not yet invaded neighboring countries like uh, Georgia or Ukraine. He hadn't consolidated in nearly as ruthless a way his power internally. He hadn't murdered people in other countries and capitals of other countries. Um, Putin is now more of a threat than he was 20 years ago. China, 20 years ago, it was reasonable to hope that economic liberalization was going to lead to political liberalization, that we would have a kind of a collaborative relationship going forward with China. It not, not, wouldn't be everything we wanted, but more of what we wanted. And now uh, Xi has consolidated power in a pretty brutal and ruthless way. He's built up his military and threatening to use it uh, nearby. Obviously, terrible abuses of human rights uh, 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 against the Uyghurs, uh, crackdown in Hong Kong, threatening of Taiwan, uh, intimidating other countries with their economic power. Uh, No one really thinks that China is less of a threat or that we're stronger vis-a-vis China than we were 10 or 20 years ago. Iran, closer to nuclear weapons than they were 20 years ago. Whatever you think of the invasion of Iraq, it did caused Iran to pause its nuclear program. We now know that's started up again. The Obama administration tried to deal with it one way, the Trump administration another way. I think people, veterans of both administrations, would say, uh, for whatever reasons, it hasn't worked too well, and now the Biden administration is struggling with that. Iraq and Afghanistan, people can differ a lot about the wisdom of what we did there over these two decades, but it hasn't ended terribly well. And I say this with genuine uh, sadness, knowing many people who fought there and who were involved in the policy and in all the administrations uh, that have had to deal with those difficult uh, areas of the world. And the pullout from Afghanistan was pretty, pretty catastrophic, I think, for U.S. credibility. And, of course, I'm f- afraid for the Afghan people. And even Assad in Syria, 10 years ago, he was he was supposed to be gone. And eight years ago, President, uh, nine years ago, I guess, President Obama said use of chemical weapons, a red line. We haven't enforced that red line. Venezuela, uh, dictators in charge there who allegedly was going to be gone in the last several years. And uh, there was bipartisan support for that. As I say, if we come back in 10 years and we can uh, say that things have changed, that would be great. But for now, I'm afraid American global leadership is not declined. Thank you, Bill
1: Kristol. And our next speaker will be arguing against the resolution that America is retreating from global leadership. That speaker is Vikram Singh. Vikram, the screen is yours.
3: Well, uh, thank you, John. And it's so great to be here with uh, all of my friends. And I agree uh, that uh, we'll have a really robust debate. Uh, Mary Beth and Bill are well positioned to to argue their, their views. But Corey Shockey and I are going to make it really clear that if anything, American leadership is in a period of pivoting to recovery and consolidation in a world that is full of challenges, which Bill Crystal has just Uh, expounded on in some great detail, and those are all real challenges, but a measure of leadership is not that you have a difficult mountain to climb, it's how you handle getting over that mountain. So the fact that we have challenges ahead of us, the fact that we've been struggling with a dynamically changing world, that is not evidence of a lack of leadership. And in fact, I think we're at a point right now as we come out of a global pandemic in which arguably the United States has performed better than any other country, That it's important to think about our leadership in terms of our fundamentals. So where are we right now? I want to talk briefly about leadership in just four realms, economic, military, technological, and what I would call ideational. The, the, the the idea of America, how we're, how we're striving for and, and being an example to the world. In economic terms, the United States is doing shockingly well, considering two years ago we had the most calamitous economic crisis uh, in, uh, since the Great Depression, really. Uh, we've come out strong. We led the recovery. Unemployment is at 3.9 percent. Our GDP is $221 $21 trillion, significantly more than China still. And yes, China is rising. But don't forget, China has 1.5 billion people. You know, when China's GDP is getting to be six times ours, well, then I'll be starting to worry. If you take our next if you take the next nine or next eight top uh, countries by GDP, they're all American allies and partners. That's half the global economy. In terms of military strength, the same goes. The United States, our partners and allies, are still the undisputed global leaders. Corey will talk more about our hard power and more about the resilience of our system. But we are not at risk of losing, even if we do face challenges because of the uh, horrible authoritarian nature of some of these adversarial states. Our leadership is not gonna always lead to complete successes, but it is going to help lead the world in a positive direction. When it comes to technology, the five top American technology companies have a market capitalization of $8.5 trillion. We are the leaders in innovation. Where do young people wanna go study? Where do they wanna study and then continue in their field and set down roots and have a family? It's here. You don't want to go to China, even if China has great computer science programs, and then uh, settle down with your family and start a new life in a a one-party authoritarian state. So across all of those areas, the United States is probably in as strong a position as it's ever been. Others are rising, but we have the friends, we have the allies, and we have that last area, the idea of freedom, free markets, free people um, that is really what we built our country on. And it's why we continue to be an inspiration to the world. And it's why even through difficult things like the war in Afghanistan that Bill Kristol rightly pointed out ended in a disaster, we had allies by our side, some 50 countries. Who else could marshal that? And I believe as we refocus on common challenges globally, we will be able to lead in this next decade.
1: Thank you, Vikram Singh. Now you've heard the first two opening statements and here's where we move on to the third. Next up on the screen, making a statement in support of the resolution that America is retreating from global leadership. Mary Beth Long, Mary Beth, it's your turn.
4: Well, thank you so much for this opportunity. And I I can't say that I could disagree with anything that uh, Mr. Vikram raised, except he's he's just wrong in his analysis. He's exactly right in that, you know, Americans in every country is judged as to how it handles the mountains and whether or not we feel that we were well positioned to handle the pandemic and well positioned to handle Afghanistan, the rest of the world perceives us as having stumbled and quite frankly done astonishingly poorly. In foreign affairs, perception is reality. And you don't have to take my word for it. If There are Pew research and Pew polling that says, frankly, that 57% of the country's polls said that the United States used to be a good partner, used to be. 67% said very much on the somewhat side, somewhat the United States is a good partner. That's a catastrophic decline from previous years. And in fact... After the debacle, what many would describe as the abrupt and haphazard departure from Afghanistan, Biden's external polling across the world went down approximately 10%. They did not view that as handled well. Yes, we had partners, but our partners were there in part to get their own people out. And I can tell you, as a matter of personal experience, our partners tried to intervene on several occasions and help us get our folk out.
1: You've been listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll hear the end of Mary Beth Long's opening statement right after this. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. Before the break, we were listening to Mary Beth Long's opening statement on our topic, Is America Retreating from Global Leadership? Let's rejoin the debate.
4: One of our colleagues from the Atlantic actually was overseas and interviewed dozens of foreign ministers, diplomats, uh, journalists, and foreign policy practitioners. And he was overwhelmed by the pessimism And the decry that America is stepping away, that America is no longer willing and able to project power. And part of that is, and I think Mr. Vikram raised it, you know, in relativity to other powers, they're rising. And that has resulted in a decline in our ability to, for example, control economic and military realms that we used to be the sole real practitioner in. But more importantly, they look at what happened on January 6th. They look at successive presidents really since the late 200s and even our president now, and they look at what is ambiguous policy. They look at an internal divisiveness not only socially, but politically, that prohibits our Congress from having a hard-edge, cutting, clear foreign policy, but also prohibits us from really implementing it. So at the end of the day, we have, in matters of our ability to implement a hard foreign policy abroad, we have declined significantly, and that has terrified our allies and emboldened our adversaries.
1: Thank you, Mary Beth Long. Our final speaker will be arguing against the resolution that America is retreating from global leadership. Corey Shockey, your turn.
5: So I agree with much of what Bill and Mary Beth have to say. Bill is right that the world's becoming a more dangerous place. There are greater challenges for the United States, its allies and its friends uh, to manage. China is more aggressive and more repressive, Russia is seeking to uh, overturn the European security order and is flowing mercenaries into Syria and Mali and other places. So Bill is absolutely right that things are becoming more challenging. But that's different from saying that the United States isn't helping manage those challenges, isn't leading the international order to manage those challenges and isn't sustaining an international order that best protects the safety and the prosperity of the United States and allied countries. Uh, All of those things are true. None of them mean that the United States is retreating from leadership in the world. And we have been slow to focus on the threats that China poses. But the United States, first under President Bush, continuing under President Obama, then under President Trump, and now under President Biden, is increasingly prioritizing American diplomacy and American national security policies to reverse that. Um, and they, one of the things President Biden said again, The embarrassing debacle of writing off Afghanistan, I agree with Mary Beth and Bill about. And yet one of the justifications President Biden offered is that we need to be able to focus more attention, more of our national security resources on managing China. That is a higher priority. And uh, there is widespread and increasing support not just among our allies, but among countries not allied to the United States across Asia and beyond, about the nature of the threat China poses. If you look at the way the United States led international recognition that allowing the Chinese firm Huawei to be the backbone of 5G telecommunications systems, that is a great example of American global leadership even when so clumsily started by the Trump administration. And I think you see the convergence of NATO allies in dealing with Russia. So we are stepping up to the leadership challenges of our time.
1: Thank you, Cory Shockey. and that concludes round one of our Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And now we move on to the second round, which is a much more freewheeling conversation where the four debaters win, will take questions from me and can also ask questions of one another. It's more of a conversation, and I want to take that conversation first to to Bill Crystal. I, I, we just heard Cory Shockey say the United States is stepping up. We heard your partner uh, Mary Beth say America is stepping away. That if 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 Bill uh, Bill if uh, America is is leading. Um, then others would be following. Uh, Now, uh, we just got an example from Corey, from the Huawei uh, situation, for example. I think the argument could also be made to some degree in terms of response to COVID. But I want you to take on that question of whether America is deliberately giving up its attempt to lead, to persuade, to cajole, to guide, to build coalitions, to get things done that way.
2: I mean, I'm glad the Biden administration is trying to restore... Some some of our ability to cajole and and guide and lead, and is doing, and I support some of what they're trying to do, but they are trying to do it because we have been in decline, uh, because the leadership hasn't been there, and I think a lot of the instances, in a way that Vikram and Corey mentioned, actually show that. Uh, Why we, I'm all for Wendy Sherman being in Europe, and I don't mean to belittle her by talking about her scuttling around, but why are we there? We're there because Putin, having invaded Ukraine and gotten away with it. Uh, himself inspired incidentally pretty clearly by the fact that Assad got away with a red line that using chemical weapons that allegedly we were not going to permit him to cross and he got away with crossing that but Afghanistan really is the biggest story of the first year of the Biden administration and that represents a continued retreat from leadership.
1: Vikram to respond?
3: I think on the on, on the, the fundamentals of the alliance structure it's not only that it hasn't fallen apart it's actually held together exceedingly well you know if you think about it there was a pretty cogent argument saying post-Cold War, you know, you don't need a NATO anymore. You know, we won the Cold War. But we realized that the benefits of this kind of institutionalized alliance structure are so significant that we continue to invest and expand it. And if you look right now, there's incredibly interesting and promising developments in that exact realm. So, for example, the Quad is an agreement between India the United States, Japan and Australia to cooperate in a whole range of areas. Was 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 really juiced up in the Trump administration, and then taken to a whole new level by the Biden administration. There's also the so-called AUKUS, which is the Australia, UK, uh, United States agreement that's you know starts with nuclear submarines, but is a major defense pact and a major step forward on building and deepening alliance uh, agreements and partnerships. And there's a lot of examples of this kind of accelerating and dynamically changing cooperation, which in part are a product of getting past uh, the, the difficult challenges that Iraq and Afghanistan pose to our leadership. Um, so rather than stepping away, I would say we're stepping up, as Corey had said.
1: Mary Beth, looks like you want to get in there. Go ahead.
4: Oh, it. I do. You know, I I've, I can't disagree with a lot of the points that are raised, but I think it's missing the point that you alluded to, which is it's leadership. And if you're leading, you have followers. And I think it's very difficult to deny that our allies, uh, as well as our enemies, the world looks at us as having a real credibility problem. And that credibility problem started easily. Uh, at least after the Soviet Union. You know, one thing about the Soviet Union was we faced it most militarily and economically. For the first time in the history, certainly recent history, we now have China that is basically a country that had a tool that the Soviet Union really never did have. And that is the ability to annihilate us economically. But the credibility issue is is something that, Even with COVID, if you, I spent a lot of time in the, even during COVID, abroad with the Gulf and with leaders of European countries. And when they look at Afghanistan, they look at the Syria red line issue. They look at, they don't even know what our articulated policy is for Iraq. They feel our policy with Iran has been adrift at best. And then they look at COVID and they say, you know, for, for a country that's supposed to be leading the world in dealing with global crises, you didn't exactly lead. And I think there's an argument that some countries did as well or better, but we didn't lead. In fact, they looked at a lot of internal uh, debate, a lot of internal, um, the divisive and, and, and aggressive nature. And what they're getting is, this is not a country that's capable of leading. We shouldn't, we shouldn't confuse activity with leading.
5: May I respond to that?
4: Please,
1: Corey. That's where I was going next.
5: Because I think we actually have metrics for assessing this. You know, as long as the United States has had allies, it has had allies that are disappointed in American leadership. They always want us to do more. They always think we can do better. They always want us to protect them more. But if the United States really had such crippling credibility problems, you wouldn't have countries clamoring to get into NATO. You wouldn't have countries willing to station U.S. forces to be engaged in military operations with the United States. You had NATO countries and others willing to fight in Iraq and Afghanistan with the United States for respectively 10 and 20 years. That's an amazing measure of just how much credibility the United States has. And it's certainly true that we've made lots of mistakes, but that's also not a new phenomenon in American global leadership, even in post-World War II leadership. People were disappointed in Harry Truman, they were disappointed in Dwight Eisenhower, they were even disappointed in Ronald Reagan after the uh, Lebanon bombings for pulling out of the Middle East. And that was a huge crisis in alliance credibility. So it is the nature of security relationships that allies worry. The right metric for assessing just how severe the worries are is whether they are making alternative arrangements. And one of the most striking things, one of the best measures of American leadership is that you don't see Many countries going to China for protection instead of allying with the United States or going to Russia. Let me me take that point
1: to to Bill Crystal, because I think you made it quite persuasively.
2: What about all of that, Bill? Look, it's great that we are a great country. A, we remain a free country and a liberal democracy and a, a relatively free economy. And people want to come here and countries want to be allied with us. That is great. It's one of our greatest strengths. And it's a very good thing that that has not gone away and that whatever our mistakes, whatever our failures of leadership, which is what we're debating, which I believe are, are real, that the the basic contours of the international liberal order remain uh, pretty much what they have been, and we're at the core of it. So I'm very happy about that. I think another 10 or 20 years of Afghanistan-type pullouts and Syria-type red lines and inability to get uh, Germany, our most important NATO ally, to uh, work with us on uh, not letting Russia develop a gas pipeline that will give them uh, all kinds of power in Europe— and all kinds of other, if we could have 10 or 20 years without those kinds of failures of leadership, we would strengthen the world that we're in. The fact that countries want to be with us is a testimony to our attractiveness and to Russia and China's unattractiveness. And that is great. And I would, I don't minimize that at all. It's not, unfortunately though, it's not a reflection of great American leadership. And in fact, they are clamoring for more leadership. Every foreign leader I've spoken to in the last 10 years uh, has been, has wished that the U.S. was doing war, were making its case better, were more coherent. And they're very worried about our domestic situation. Vikram mentioned immigration as an American strength. I couldn't agree more. We've barely let in any immigrants the last few years, not just because of the pandemic. We're not taking advantage of our strengths. Taking advantage of our strengths is leadership. We have the strengths. They will keep us going for quite a while, even with mediocre or poor leadership, but we need to restore competent uh, leadership soon. Bill, just very
1: briefly, do you feel that, are you arguing, and and Mary Beth, you can get on this as well, and I'd like your opponents then to respond. Do, Do you feel that the United States has lost the will to lead? Or is it a matter of incompetence and bumbling? Uh, Let me go to you, Mary Beth, because uh, Bill just had a crack at it. I
4: I think um, the U.S. has demonstrated uh, internally uh, issues that for Americans, um, for many Americans, are equally or more important. We've got infrastructure problems, we've got politicization problems, um, and we've got uh, in, in places we didn't anticipate it previously, we have a Congress with um, one of historic lows in its credibility and in its its view as being effective so we 've got some internal problems I think that have made Americans more interested in focusing on internal situations and less interested in being the policeman of the world or in always being the one who saves another. And unfortunately, that sort of collides a bit with the traditional views of us leading the way. And we're going to have to sort it, frankly. Um, and a lot of it will be a deep internal discussion is what kind of leadership we want to restore and how we do that while looking internally to some of our own domestic challenges.
1: Corey Shaki, the same question to you from the other side. I wanted you to respond, and my question to Mary Beth, which she addressed, was whether the United States is losing the will to lead. I'm sure you're going to argue no, because that's your position, but I want to hear why.
5: So, two reasons. Um, First, it is certainly true that the United States is a problematic example of a democratic society now. Um, And, but it's also true that this isn't the first time. I mean, just to take the decade of the 1960s, you had an American president assassinated and killed. You had a major civil rights leader assassinated and killed. Um, You had enormous social protests as America was becoming a fairer and more inclusive place. So we were also a pretty bad example of democracy at that time and in other times in America's past. So our struggle is actually important, not just whether we are a good example at the moment. And I think what you have seen in the last several years is an amazing mobilization of American civil society, the holding of the guardrails of American democracy against enormous challenges. Um, And that's a good thing, and that's a positive thing. Uh, And as to whether Americans are still willing to lead, I think I would use two examples. One is that in a recent uh, Reagan Defense Forum poll, 52% of Americans were willing to go to war with China in order to protect democracy in Taiwan. That's a huge increase just over the last few years as Americans became much more concerned about the behavior of China. The second example of America willing to lead is that Congress just added $24 billion on top of the $740 billion that the Biden administration requested for the Department of Defense and for American national security. So there is a willingness to make sacrifices, to fund uh, what needs to be done for America to be safe at home and a leader of the international order that keeps us safe and prosperous. I'm sorry, one more example. The Secretary of the Treasury producing an international agreement for a minimum corporate tax rate. That's a huge accomplishment um, of American national security policy, and Secretary Yellen delivered it.
2: Do you think the U.S. government is really organized? A, do you think the policies of the last 10, 15 years have been very sound in terms of China? And B, do you think we're well-organized to deal with militarily? I believe, Corey, you've written things saying, whoa, we need to really reshape the military and refocus it to deal with China. And we've been behind in doing that.
5: Sure. Um, It's absolutely true that I think we need to do better and that part of American leadership is all of us always trying to help our government to do better than they're doing. But I do think American policy on China is largely successful. We have shifted over the course of the last 10 or 15 years from anticipating that including China in the international institutions and processes of the order would make China more liberal. We have acknowledged that mistake. We have shifted our policy. We are building up our military forces in the Pacific, deepening our alliance relationships. We have come up with creative new initiatives like AUKUS and the Quad that Vikram talked about. Allies are binding together with us in these policies in order to counter an increasingly malign China. I do think that is what constitutes successful American leadership.
1: This is Intelligence Squared U.S. More debate in a moment. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared U.S. Let's get back to our debate.
4: I actually couldn't disagree more. The place of our biggest failure has been China. China has adapted and adopted and opened up. They've had a gradual opening up of their market. They've had a gradual recognition that they needed a middle class, that they needed to have a freedom of expression, the the, um, the cultural war and the malice movements and the post Deng Xiaoping sort of opening up of China in part was responsive to the United States and the rest of the world, but it was much more domestically driven, I think, than we'd like to admit. And what it doesn't do is align with the the liberal principles and the liberal world order foundational principles that were designed for American leadership. And in fact, contemplated America leading those organizations and processes. And those are under threat now of China. It's not that we're being abandoned by our allies, but our allies are hedging their bets and they know they have to deal with China. And they're in a dilemma about how to make that happen because they're not sure how much they can rely on us. That's a leadership vacuum.
3: The irony of our China policy is that it was is that it was actually successful leadership, but it was based on a faulty underlying assumption. So from from Richard Nixon through Xi Jinping. The you know, essentially the, the position was, and I think the big warning sign that was ignored uh, by the West was Tiananmen Square, um, but the position was liberalize the economy, they'll liberalize their politics. And I think Corey's point about where the leadership comes in is that however belatedly, after however many decades of doing that, after really helping China become the economic powerhouse that it is today, we finally accepted that they weren't going to do the political liberalization that we had hoped. But what we have seen since that moment is bipartisan unity on standing up and addressing that challenge that, unfortunately, 40 years of American policy did help bring about. And I do think that is a sign of of American leadership and American leadership not retreating, but adapting.
1: Before we wrap this section, which we're going to do shortly, I want to bring it to... A point that came up in the beginning, and I think it came from Mary Beth, that, and the point being, we're talking about America leading by by virtue of foreign policy decisions. We're talking about America leading by virtue of its economic power, its innovative power. But there's also just been the case that we have led, maybe passively, by example, we we were a functioning democracy. The The people, more or less, you know, there was always corruption. There were always the bad politicians. There were always scandals, but more or less... For a period of time, it was true that when American experts, democracy experts, came in to talk about how to do it, people took them seriously. And I'm wondering now, the moment that we're in where the our own democratic institutions are proving to be frighteningly fragile, where are we in terms of leading by example, uh, uh, an example of the kind of nation, the kind of system that others would want to be? I'll start with you, Bill.
2: I mean, I wish we could be reassured, but, uh, I mean, if, if you talk to people who work in the democracy field, and we all know many people at the different, uh, uh endowments for democracy and the Republican and Democratic institutes who try to help with democratic elections and democratizing abroad, they all say their job is much harder because of our failures at home. And that's also a failure of many things, but partly a failure of domestic leadership, but which has real international Obviously, implications. Uh, Corey mentioned the '60s and '70s, which had their challenges. God knows, assassinations and, and turmoil and failures and Watergate. But actually, the story—if you step back to that—is the turmoil was part of a civil rights revolution, which was a good thing and which made us more. Compelling is the right thing to do at home, obviously, but it also helped us be uh, messengers for democracy and freedom abroad. And we fixed the system after Watergate and made it much harder to have those kinds of abuses. So we came out of the 60s and 70s stronger, I'd say, in terms of our model for the world, our image in the world, our ability to lead in that respect, which as Vikram said, is so important, the ideas, the values. And I think it's very hard to say that we've had a good last five years in that in, in that regard. Mary Beth.
4: This time it's different because, and I think Michel Duclay, who's in the Atlantic article, but is also on a five-year-old track too um, with me, um, we have Chinese, Indian, J- Russians, Germans, UK, it's a very interesting group. And to a man, uh, what they see, you know, foreigners always thought they sort of had a vested interest in what was happening in the United States. Some foreigners will even say, you know, we we should be able to vote. You guys have so much impact on us. And for the first time, um, and and they love us, they want to be more, and they want us to leave. But for the first time, they're seeing a crack in our inability to rebound like we rebounded before. They saw what happened for good or for ill. Um, ending the 2000s, ending with um, some really tumultuous domestic times during the Trump administration. And then they saw um, us stumble internationally and stumble uh, more than one would have hoped domestically with this administration. And for the first time, Michel Duclay actually said it. We always thought that America was invincible and she could recover no matter what her mistakes or what the world threw at her. And we now have doubts. And that's the problem with our credibility and inability to lead at this point.
1: And Vikram, for you, again, the question about whether our domestic political Turmoil is compromising our ability to claim to be leaders internationally.
3: Well, I think it. I think it is, and I think it. I think it always has. I think it did in the in the 60s and 70s. Whenever you have, just remember, democracy is not a is not like a, an on off switch, a state that you're in or a state you're not in. It's a journey which moves forward and moves backwards. And the U.S. democracy has been um, has been in you know potentially near its demise multiple times going back to the dawn of the republic through the civil war um and through the 20th century multiple times um and so we we are at one of those moments and if we it goes badly it certainly will hurt american leadership there there there's 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 no doubt about that but as i said in the beginning it's one element of american leadership and i think it's bears remembering that while democra- while the state of our democracy really matters and we need it to move further and further towards justice, we need civil rights movement type periods to bring us to a better democracy, a more perfect union. I mean, it was a much less democratic America that won, that led and won World War II and defeated Nazism and fascism. Objectively speaking, that was a much less democratic country. And so we have to recognize that our leadership and the challenges we face on the world stage and at home are all a piece. But, um, but that if the question is, are we retreating from our leadership? Not are we challenged, but are we retreating? Um, then I think it's no. And I see Americans every day all across this country who are part of the fight. And American leadership has never been just a government thing. It's government, it's business, it's thought leaders and civil society. Uh, It's it's across the board. And I think I see a lot of leadership and a lot of and a lot of hope for this battle. And uh, and, am I worried? Of course. But I'm feeling like we as a nation um, will probably we shouldn't be underestimated.
1: All right. Thank you, Vikram. And that concludes round two of our Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where once again, our resolution is America is retreating from global leadership. And now we move on to round three, and round three is comprised of closing statements by each debater in turn. They will be two minutes each, and this is their last chance to try to change your minds because remember, right after this round, you will be asked to vote for a second time, and your votes will decide who is the winning team in this debate. So first, uh, making his closing statement in support of the motion that America is retreating from global leadership, here is Bill Kristol. Bill.
2: Bill. Uh, Thanks. uh, And thank you for, I have very much enjoyed this debate, actually. It's been thought-provoking and stimulating. I want to just begin where Vikram left off. Uh, America should not be underestimated. Why not? One reason why not is because we fix our mistakes. We we do change uh, course when we've made mistakes. We've made big mistakes and recovered from them. But we've made big mistakes in these last 10, 20 years. Our leadership has been wanting. We have been retreating from leadership. We've had Two presidents in a row, President Obama and President Trump, both saying nation building must begin at home, as they in different ways, very different ways, retreated from our obligations abroad. That's think about, of course, we all are in favor of nation building at home. But when you say in a nationally televised speech, as both and both use the exact same phrase, nation building must begin at home, you're basically telling the world we've kind of too much for us right now. We're kind of pulling back. And that's what we've done. It can be fixed. It must be fixed. It will be fixed. I hope everyone on this, uh, in this debate is back in government fixing it sooner rather than later. But I think it's a mistake to engage in wishful thinking. Uh, one reason we have been able to recover from previous lapses of leadership, previous retreats of leadership, retreats from the world is that we saw that we had been wrong to do so. We saw that we had been both ineffective, as as John, as you said at times, in in carrying out policies, but also mistaken in some of the things we thought, uh, as Vikram said about China, that we thought would happen and been willing to correct course. So we need to correct course. That means no wishful thinking. That means understanding that we have, unfortunately, been retreating from global leadership, but it needn't continue to be that way.
1: Thank you, Bill Crystal. Our next uh, statement is a statement, closing statement against the resolution. It comes from Vikram Singh. Vikram, your turn.
2: Well, um,
3: thanks, John, and thanks to my great, this great debating partners. This has been a, it's been a really, really thought-provoking discussion. Um, I know that you and the audience um, believe in uh, in America and that American leadership is not only, um, you know, vital, but is, is going to be what leads you to better lives in the next, in the next 10 plus years. And I believe that my partner, Corey, and I have hopefully shown that the fundamentals are with America, that we are still the place that people want to be, and we are still the partner of choice for countries all around the world, and that, if anything, our leadership is facing challenges, but is not something that we as Americans, be it citizens or, le- or our leaders, are, re- are going to shirk from. We absolutely have major challenges. Our opponents outline them extremely well. And there's more that we hardly touched on, climate change and other issues that demand global leadership that probably, I believe, can only come from the United States. But the beauty of American leadership is we don't have to do everything alone. We lead with a global network of allies and partners. We comprise well over half the global economy, well over half global defense capabilities. But more important than that, we're the kind of, we portray the kind of world in which people want to live, the kind of, the kind of societies that most of humanity would rather be in. And yes, China is out there competing for influence and for access. Um, And we are going to stand up to that. So I know you won't underestimate America just as we don't. I know you know that our leadership may be challenged, but it is not in retreat. And I know you will vote no, and stand with us for strong American leadership in the coming
1: decade. Thanks, Vikram Singh. Our third speaker in this closing round is Mary Beth Long. Mary Beth, the floor is yours. You are arguing in support of the resolution that America is retreating from global leadership.
4: Well, I have incredible colleagues for whom I have tremendous respect and uh, thank you for inviting us all to participate in this debate. Um, The fundamental issue here is whether the United States is retreated from leadership. And leadership, as we've talked about, requires that we're looking at it from the perspective of everybody else, not our own perspective. Are we leading or are we just playing? It it pains me to say that the United States is no longer viewed as the unequivocal leader in global leadership in many of the important areas that actually count as far as the international community is concerned. I think you'd be hard pressed not to pick up any paper in any country anywhere that doesn't say that the United States is and has been for some time retreating from leadership rules. It's retreating in preference of multilateral organizations. We certainly participate. We may lead within that organization. Some of those organizations, One would debate whether they're effective at all. But as an effective leader, we do rely more on organizations. But more importantly, we are not leading vis-a-vis other ascending powers. And the rest of the world, when it looks at its own situation, it wants American leadership. It's not there. And yes, they've complained in the past, but they're all complaining now. Why? Because they believe we're flat-footed when it comes to China, and they're hedging their bets and they've seen examples that insinuate to them and suggest to them that we're not interested in leading the world in the ways we have in the past any longer. We're shifting forces. We're retreating from our physical locations. We've seeded ground technologically, economically, and in other ways to Putin, who doesn't deserve it, to China. I wish we could get back to where we were and perhaps Maybe we should think hard about what kind of global leader we want to be. But to say that we're still the global leader and that we haven't retreated is not looking at the rest of the world and the way they perceive us. And that's the only thing that counts when it comes to global leadership.
1: Thank you, Mary Beth Long. And the last word goes to a debater who is making an argument against the resolution. Here is Corey Shockey. Corey.
5: You know, one of the things that hasn't actually come up yet in this debate is what a time of tumultuous change we are living through technologically, economically, um, politically. And those changes create a sort of febrile sense that of the moment, uh, right? Social media, everybody can get their opinions out everywhere. Gatekeepers uh, are reduced in stature and reach. And so one of the real challenges of our time is governing over diversity. And I think a lot of the anxiety we have about American leadership is because times are changing. We're in the midst of a fast rushing stream and and trying to make judgments about what is our leadership still the leadership that used to be. When in fact, we need different kinds of leadership because we have different kinds of circumstances. Theodore Roosevelt said of coming to my native land of California, that when I am in California, I do not think I am in the West. California is the West of the West. And what we are experiencing as a country right now is that the circumstances are so new. America is sort of the West of the West at the moment. We are trying to figure out how to govern over so much diversity and so much change. And so it's very messy. And we have concerns about the ability of our governance to do that. There's a great book called Fears of a Setting Sun. That's America's founding fathers worried that our democracy was failing. We always worry that we're failing, and as Bill Kristol said, that's part of why we succeed. As he himself is such a great example of civil society strengthening democracy in America.
1: Thank you, Corey, and thank you to all of our debaters. That concludes the third round of our Intelligence Square debate, which means that the debate itself is included, uh, is concluded, and now it is time. Uh, to go to our second vote. And remember, it is the side that changes the most minds between the first and the second vote that will be declared our winner. It works the same way as at the start. Go back to iq2us.org. You'll see there are the same choices of for, against, or undecided on our resolution. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're keeping this vote open for seven days so that more people can watch the debate and vote. And at the end of those seven days, we will announce the winner on our website, iq 2 us Org. Um, now, the competition is over at this point. This has really been an interesting debate, and the, the topic is an, is an interesting and important one, and I wanted to say this about our debaters, all of whom are returning debaters, and I hope that you saw the reason why. I, I particularly want to point out the enormous amount of common ground among all four of them, their ability to complement and respect one another— their amazing ability in the midst of a heated debate to actually concede that the other side had made some great points. That's why this is not cable news. That's what we do and what we try to bring to our debates, which is nuance and intelligence and respect. And to all four of you, Mary Beth, uh, Corey, Bill, and Vikram, I just want to say for the way that you did this and for living up to our ideals, thank you very, very much for joining us for such an excellent debate. Well, thank you. Thank you,
5: John. And a great pleasure.
1: I want to thank you, our audience, for tuning into this episode of Intelligence Squared. I hope you enjoyed it just as much as I did. Intelligence Squared... Is a nonprofit that is generously funded by listeners like you, members of Intelligence Squared, academic institutions, and other partners, and by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Clea Connor is our CEO. David Ariosto is our head of editorial. Amy Kraft is our chief of staff and head of production. Shay Mara and Marlette Sandoval are our producers. Kim Strempel is our production coordinator. Damon Whittemore is our audio producer. And Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Our mission here at Intelligence Squared is to restore critical thinking and facts and reason and civility to American public discourse. We would love your support in that effort. Please visit www.intelligencesquaredus.org to join the debate and hear from both sides, at least both sides, of every issue. I'm John Donvan. Thanks so much for listening.